There are uh, certainly times in our lives when it's simply better to let go than to hang on. Um, there are those practical times when literally letting go is is the best plan. I um, learned that while working as a millwright, when you drop something heavy or something heavy is falling, just get out of the way. You know, I mean, you, you don't try to you don't try to catch something heavy. Um, you can, but it, it's uh, quite painful. Um, you know, you can end up being severely injured. Or even if you try to, you know, if you're dropping a pair of scissors, um, let them drop. You know, I mean, some, some things, you know, a little more dangerous. When Marcy was in grammar school, I don't remember what, um, what age she was, but I do remember it was grammar school. She dropped a pencil and went to catch it, you know, and stabbed herself with the pencil. And she has, so now she has a tattoo right here. It's a pencil. You know, just a pencil mark that that's in there. Um, you know, that that's just the the physical things. There are also those times when we should let go of ideas, opinions, um, you know, the, the things that are holding us back. Uh, I have to I have to admit regularly that I can't do everything. Not only do I not have the ability, I don't have the time. I don't even have the time to do the things I have the ability, all the things that I have the ability to do that I'd like to do. And uh, some things I just have to let go. And some things I just have to step back. Because when I don't, you know, and, and we, uh, I push and I insist on my way or insist on doing it, I not only drive myself crazy, I irritate everybody around me. So you can pray for Ginny. Um, you know, it's not, not always easy for me to let go of things, but it's necessary. I mean, we have to. Uh, if you got, if you ever, if when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you come to that place where you realize that He is God and you realize what He's done for you, uh, you have to let go. You have to let go of everything that you think was making you right. You have to let go of everything that you think is the way to get to God. You have to let go of all of those ideas. You have to let go of all of those other thoughts and plans, and you surrender yourself to God. That's what a relationship with Christ is about. It's where we get to that place where we, we realize we have to let go of what it was we were hanging on to, you know, that was, that was so important to us, whether it's religion or whether it's, you know, whatever you put in that spot that makes you think that you're okay with God, whatever you put in there, you have to let go of that and hold on to Christ. So when we talk about letting go, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a necessary thing, you know, if, if you're ever going to have that relationship with God. What I, I hope we realize today is that we need to let go of some things. Particularly, whatever it is that is holding us back from growing closer to God. Whatever is holding us back from growing closer to God, we need to let go of those things. Now, here's the deal. You always do this in line with God's word. You know, it's not your spouse that's holding you back from being closer to God, you know, and you don't let go of your spouse because that's against the word of God and God's not confused about these things. You know, it's, it's not. What we're talking about is those things that we're holding on to that we're letting take the place of God in our lives. Those things that we're putting there, those things that, that we put such value on, 
that it's keeping us away from God. And sometimes the, the value is our own thoughts and our own attitude. And we have, to be able to, we have to be able to let go of whatever it is that is holding us back from growing closer to God. That's one of the things Matthew had to do. We've been looking at the apostles. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew today. Let's pray. We're going to get into the passage uh, that prompted these thoughts this morning. Father, thank you for uh, the way that you are, you are so patient with us. I know you've been so patient with me the dumb things that, that I have held on to, the foolishness sometimes with which I have made choices. I, I don't want that to be a part of me. I thank you for your word in the way that you have and continue to teach me. I pray that as we look into your word this morning that you would again continue to teach us. Help us to see you. Help us to understand you. Help us to see if there's something that we're holding on to that we need to let go of, Father, that comes in between us and you and shouldn't be there. So guide us with the wisdom that only you have and the way that only you can do. Make, make us see you more clearly, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 5, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 947. You see we're going to start in verse 17. Um, we're going to be looking at Matthew, you know, as we continue this study of, of Jesus' apostles. Matthew is referred to as Levi in uh, two of the Gospels, in Mark and in Luke. He's referred to as, as Levi. We've already seen that in previous passages um, you know, as we looked at the apostles, it's not unusual for them to have two names. Simon was, you know, Jesus changed his name to Peter. Last week we looked at Nathaniel, also referred to as Bartholomew. A lot of times they had uh, Hebrew names and Jewish names, and sometimes Jesus changed their name. Uh, we have Levi, and, and he is also Matthew. Now, is that something that Jesus changed his name to? We're not told specifically. We don't know. But we do know he's referred to by by both names. Now, uh, Matthew wrote to, he's, this is the author of the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, and he is, you know, he's the author of that. Um, but the account about Matthew, where he comes to know Christ, he comes, he comes to that place of, of uh, responding to Jesus, um, that's really all we learn about Matthew in, in the Gospels is that interaction where he was called. You know, we don't have much as far as what follows that. It's recorded in three Gospels where he was, where, uh, he was called Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not recorded at all in John. That um, gives us some insight. <clears throat> it would seem Matthew's account would give you the most insight, but perhaps he was a bit more humble than we might give him credit for. He <clears throat> almost kind of, almost not downplays it, but just kind of, hits a few of the facts and, and moves on. I think Luke's passage here gives us the fullest picture of, of what that is. We're going to start in verse 17. Now, in verse 17, this is not the calling of Matthew specifically, but in all three gospel accounts where it tells us about Matthew being called, this is the same, this is the same event that happens just previous to him being called in all three gospels uh, So as it unfolds. Let's look at that. Verse 17 says, on one of those days while he was teaching, 
Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on a mat a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, uh, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles and into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and Pharisees began to think, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Now we're going to pause there, and then it gets into the, the passage about Matthew's calling. But we're not looking in detail at this passage, only as it relates to and helps us, I think it'll help us understand a little bit more as we look at, at Matthew uh, of what God wants from us here and now, because ultimately that's what I hope we always leave here with is, What's God want from us? What does God, how, how can we better be God's people? And I hope that's what we learn. Now Luke points out here, notice at the very beginning that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law there from every village in Galilee and Judea. They were present at this event. I think that's kind of an important aspect, particularly as we move through Matthew's calling. Uh, but, you know, so here they are and they saw this. Now, it says they were from every village in Galilee and Judea. Uh, Eleven of the apostles were from Galilee. And so, you know, here they are and here are some of the leaders really that these apostles would have known. The whole region of Galilee was mainly just rural. It was consisted mainly of small towns and villages. It wasn't uh, any big, you know, cities really that were in there. Uh, the people of Galilee were regular people. They were not elite. They were, you know, they... they um, uh, I, I was thinking, you know, they didn't live in Sycamore, uh, but, you know, that's for us here in Fort Wayne. Uh, you know, they, they were just regular people. They weren't, they weren't um, really, the, Galilee was not the high-end area. Uh, the, they were not known for their education. Uh, you know, they weren't known as, as being uh, brilliant. In fact, in, in the book of Acts, as you recall, when they were interacting with the, with the apostles, they said, you know, aren't these just plain, ordinary, uneducated men. I mean, that's, that was the description of them. They said just uneducated men. Now they went on, they said, but they had been with Jesus, and that was what made the difference. They had been with Jesus, but what were they known for? Well, being uneducated, so I don't always feel so bad. But, um, you know, there's a big contrast here. These people, you know, they were mainly fishermen. They were, you know, they would be farmers, common folk. One description I read referred to them as the commonest of the common you know, that they were just regular folks here. Uh, um, Randy Bultima, they are, our friend, uh, he would have referred to them as dirt people. That's how he referred to us. You know, we were dirt people, uh, just regular old folks. And uh, this is really what they were. Now, that was in contrast to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They were different. You see, they were, they were different. They would have been very educated 
They would have held high positions in, in society. They would have had put many of them high positions in the, being in the Sanhedrin was a high position. So they were people who were educated. They were recognized, you know, and even with, within the Jewish community at large, they would have been known as, you know, that, that they were, um, they were some of the, the better educated. They were some of the, they were some of the leaders. They would, they would be looked at in this way. Now here these men are, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, and they're there among the larger crowd of those who are following Jesus. They, they range from the curious and, and the committed all the way through the obstinate, you know, those who really uh, were there for, for uh, different reasons. You know, the, there was always, there was a, not always, but quite often as we're reading scriptures, there's a larger crowd. We always just think of the 12 apostles following around following Jesus around. There's more often a larger crowd of, of those that are there than just those 12. Um, and the crowds would have got even larger as, as time went on. Uh, some would have been there and they would have, they, you know, they would have been convinced that Jesus was the Christ. We see that with his apostles. And there would have been some others. There would have been some others outside of the 12 apostles even who were following because they were convinced that he was the Christ. They were convinced he was the Messiah. And they wanted to see there. They wanted to be a part of that. They wanted, they didn't want to miss anything. You know, and they would be there. You would also have some who would just be there, you know, looking to see if he was the Christ. They were curious, you know, that perhaps someone told them about Jesus. They had seen some of the things that were there. They needed to understand more. They needed to know more. They wanted to, they wanted to find out more about him. Uh, I, I can remember being in that spot where, you know, I, I had heard about Jesus growing up, certainly, you know, and, and, and I knew about him, but I didn't know him. And when people started talking about knowing him and started talking about having this relationship with Jesus, I needed to know more. I was curious, you know, and I fell into this group here, you know, that were, would be looking to see. And there are some there that would just simply be caught up in the movement. You know, a crowd attracts a crowd go downtown and stand on the corner and just start looking up and stand there and see how many people then stop it with you and, and look to see what, you know, you're looking up at. Uh, you know, there would be those who would just simply be caught up in the moment. Uh, we see that on Palm Sunday. No doubt there were some who were caught up in the moment praising him because I think some of those same people who were praising him on Palm Sunday were some of the same people who were shouting crucify him on, on Good Friday. You know, so you would have some of these here who would just be caught up. And there were some there who were looking for reasons to reject him. I mean, there was no question that there were some that would be looking to reject Jesus as the Christ. They weren't open to him at all. They were just there because they wanted to, they wanted more ways to accuse him. They wanted more ways to say, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm right in not believing in this guy. So you would have this whole group. And here, you know, you have some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law among this whole group here. Now, uh, most of us are probably familiar with this incident here where Jesus heals this paralyzed man brought there by his friends. And as they come in, and it says they, they dig down through the roof. Um, I thought a good, a, title, a good title for a sermon would be Who Fixed the Roof? Um, but that's another sermon. That's not this one. Uh, you know, and they wanted, they, their friend was so, it was so important to them that their friend would, would see Jesus. Why? Well, no doubt they had already heard at this point about some of the miracles that he had done and some of the healings that he had done. Their friend was that important to him that they wanted to go and they wanted to see him. 
<coughs> and he was so important that when they got there and it was crowded, they didn't look at him and say, tough luck, buddy. You know, <laughs> we tried. They didn't do that. What they did is they said, how can we get him there? How can we get him in there? I just, I, I would like to have been there for the discussion when the first guy says, oh, we can dig through the roof. But he carried the day, didn't he? His idea carried the day. I thought I would be thinking, can we lower him down vertically, do you suppose? You know, does, does he have to still be laying on the mat? You know, maybe, maybe he was a thin guy and we could just put a strap under his shoulders. Uh, you know, but th- they were committed enough to this, to this guy and believed strongly enough that Jesus could make a difference in this guy's life, that they, they were going, they really went through extra measures, you know, to see that they, that they could get him in there. And then what was it like underneath? When they re-roofed this sanctuary, um, what you're looking at, the boards you're looking at, is the roof on the other side of those. They're, they're boards about, I don't know, this thick. And on the other side of it are the tar paper and the shingles. When they re-roofed it, and they, uh, I remember all of a sudden, it's raining in here, not water. It's raining debris. I mean, all the little stones that are on top of shingles start coming down on top of the pews. And imagine my excitement. you know, and uh, you know why, why we have you know twenty guys with shovels up there doing all this, and all of this stuff is coming down. They weren't ripping a hole through the roof; they were just you know doing. So here these guys are, and they want to get there, and they had, and they're knocking a hole big enough to let to let their buddy down, uh, you know. And this debris there somehow is is falling, you know. And, and so you have this, but they were committed enough. You see, they didn't mind. They didn't mind doing this. Verse 21 here tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees took exception to what Jesus said to this man. When Jesus told him his sins were forgiven and they took exception to that. Now get the, get the picture here a little bit. Get the absurdity of it here. You have this group of men who are there and so committed to their friend that they were going to do whatever they could to help him see Jesus. They were so convinced by what they had seen and what they had heard about Jesus that they were willing to go through all that work and all that labor. They were going, willing to go through even that embarrassment and even that ridicule. Because I can't imagine that everybody there just kept silent and said, oh, I wonder what's happening. You know, I mean... I'm guessing some people yelled, and if I was the owner of the house, I'd be running around outside up on the roof and saying, what do you think you're doing? They were so driven by what they knew about Jesus that they wanted their friend. They were going to go through these extra lengths so their friend could see him. And then you have this group here of these Pharisees and and the teachers of the law and... uh, they are taking an exception to Jesus telling them their sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus just healed a man. It's no big show. It's simply he healed a man. To me, that's a big show. But, you know, he, it, it's not any real big thing. And it was something they had seen him do before, which is why I think they were bringing him to see Jesus. They saw, other, they saw other miracles that Jesus had done. Now, you notice throughout Scripture as you go through there, nobody denies the miracles. 
They didn't say that guy wasn't healed. They didn't say, you know, they, they don't deny that. How could they? You know, someone's paralyzed, now they're walking. Thousands of people are fed and, and they end up with, they, they collect, they collect the scraps afterwards and more scraps are collected than what they started with. A man is born blind and now he can see. A daughter is dead and now she's raised to life. A widow's son is dead, and it, it, during the funeral, and they were walking out, you know, with the body, carrying the body, and Jesus raised him, and, and there he is, seen, and he's brought back to life. They, they, they didn't, they couldn't deny the miracles because they, 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 they were right in front of him. So what did they do? They looked to discredit Jesus as a person. In other places, they said he healed. He does these miracles by the power of Beelzebul. He does these he does these miracles by the power of the devil. Is what they said to him in some places. Here, look at what they say in verse twenty one. Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? They felt that Jesus spoke blasphemies because he forgave sin, and they knew that only God could forgive sin. They knew that was something that only God could do. And so what they did is they looked to discredit Jesus because he had the nerve, he had the audacity to tell this man that his sins were forgiven. It was a clear claim to be God. And his response to them is a very clear, very, very clear claim to be God. You know, he says, which is easier to tell them that your sins are forgiven? You know, or say, get up, but so that you might know. Notice what he says, so that you might know. That the Son of Man has authority. Now that whole term there, Son of Man, um, it, it was very clear to them, not as clear to us. They saw that phrase as a reference to the Messiah in Daniel chapter 7. It says, Daniel says, I continued watching in the night vision and I saw one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. Their belief was that this phrase here is one like the Son of Man referred to the Messiah. Jesus was making a very clear claim to them to be the Messiah. He was making a very clear claim to them to be God. They all agreed no one could forgive sin but God. And Jesus did that. He forgave their sin. He was making this connection for them, yet they couldn't see it. They couldn't see past their own opinions. They couldn't see past their own expectations. And their opinion, opinions and expectations are things they would not let go of. You see, Jesus didn't behave as they thought he should. Jesus didn't speak as they thought he should. So they rejected him. He didn't do what they thought, so they reject. A relationship with Jesus is about who he is. It's not about our expectations. It's not about our expectations because some of our expectations are wrong. They're wrong. And we hold on to wrong expectations sometimes. And we, we know people who are holding on to wrong expectations of God and they're rejecting God because they will not let go of their expectations. They will not see who he truly is. And they just keep holding on to those. But a relationship with Jesus is about who he is. It's not about our expectations. It's not about the what we think he should be. Now in case the miracle wasn't enough, Jesus continues to reveal to them that he knew their thoughts. 
They hadn't expressed them yet. Notice verse 22, it says, but perceiving their thoughts, he says, perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? They hadn't, if the healing didn't convince them, this should have. You know, this should have. You know, he knew their hearts. He knew their thoughts. He knew what motivated them. Just a reminder for us, God knows what's in your heart. He knows your heart. So quit trying to hide it from him. You know, you're not doing that. He knows what's in your heart. Bring One of the things that oh, this opens up for you is you can bring your concerns to him. Here's the deal. Even when you think you're wrong, you know what? You can bring your concerns to him. Because who better to be able to discuss things with than God himself? Who better to help me because I don't have this right? I know I don't have this right. I I really need help. You know, I know this is, you know, I, I know, I, I know that, you know, you're, you're a powerful God, you're a loving God, and I just don't get what's going on here. Please help me. What better way, what better place to bring them than to Him? You know, He knows your heart. He knows what's going on. Bring your concerns to Him. Let Him guide you instead of your thoughts, instead of your emotions, instead of your expectations leading you. Let God lead you. This incident here, it appears in all three accounts of Matthew's calling. So as I was reading this, I I asked myself, was Matthew close enough to see this? I don't know. We're not told. We're not told. I think he heard about it. Let's look at Matthew's calling there. It picks up in verse 27. And this is where, you know, he takes this step of faith to follow Jesus. Verse 27, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here as Jesus is traveling along, he comes across Matthew, across Levi, and he's in a tax booth. As you look at the other Gospels, and so he is in, he's in here in the tax booth. Now, there were a couple different types of tax collectors at that time. One collected uh, kind of a general tax, a real estate, we would call it real estate tax, you know, land tax type of thing. And that was paid by everyone. And, and that amount was set. They knew what that amount would be. You know, it would be there. It's always a surprise to me when I get my tax bill, you know, and I argue with them. But, you know, it's there. Um, I had a discussion with them this year. I protested my taxes. And um, I lost. But... Um, <laughs> The uh, um, see, but there there was that set amount. So you had this, you had these tax collectors who would collect those types of taxes, and uh, they were there. Then you had these tax collectors who would be in booths along the way, 
they would be strategically placed in places and they would charge, well, tolls, but that was a minimal thing. But what they would do is whatever you had, you know, were charging you a tax on all the stuff you're toting. Particularly if you were going to be a merchant and you were hauling stuff here and there, we're going to tax you on this stuff. Whatever you have, oh, you got, you have a cart with wheels, we have to charge you more. You know, and this was more arbitrary and these were the ones that really galled them just a little bit. I mean, it was set up, it was set up for, you know, for, for graft and bribery and all sorts of things the way it was. They would sell, the government expected a certain amount, but if, if I can get more from you, that was my money. You see, I would get a certain amount for being able to collect those taxes and have to turn some over to the government. But whatever I could get from you, whatever I could convince you, you know, that you had to pay if you were going to go by this way, then that is what I would be able to keep. I would be able to keep all of the all of the extra money here, you know, and all that was going on. And this is the type of tax collector Matthew was. It was a very lucrative position. There would be many people wanting that position. This was a job you would want to have, you know, if you were on to make money. This would be it. But Matthew, Levi, was a Jew. The Jews in particular despised these guys. You see, they were looked on as traitors. They were looked on as those who had betrayed their own people in order to serve the Roman government. And not only are they serving the Roman government, you're, you're taking the money from God's people. You're taking the money from those who are your brothers, who are your, your fellow Jews, and you're taking their money. And what are you doing with it? You're giving it to the Romans. And they were particularly hated. So much so that they were barred from the temple. They could only go as far, they could only go as far as, as the court of the Gentiles there, the outermost area of the, of the temple. This was the area in which the merchants were set up. It was so disrespected by the rest of the Jews. It was the area in which the merchants were were set up where Jesus came in and cleaned out the temple. Because you see, that was the only place where the, where the Gentiles could be. And Jesus wanted them to be able to worship too. And so he cleared that out. But it was so disrespected by the rest of the Jews that it doesn't matter what you did here. You know, it doesn't matter. Go ahead, set up shop here. You know, it was fine. This was as far as the tax collectors could go. In the parable that Jesus told about the, about the, um, the Pharisee and the tax collector going to the temple to pray, uh, the Pharisee was full of himself. And it says, as the Pharisee prayed, he prayed, God, I thank you. I thank you that I am not like other men. Now notice what he says, extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, in case he didn't get it when I was talking about extortioners and when I was talking about the unjust. In case he didn't get it, let me point him out. I thank you that I'm not like this guy. Because what? Because the Pharisee thought he had the inside track. He was educated. He knew about God. You know, he served, you know, there, of course he was, of course he was in, you know, and he had it. He was convinced that his position gave him standing with God. That because he was a Pharisee, he automatically had standing with God. But we're told, and it says, but the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was standing far off because he wasn't allowed to come any closer. Because the closest he could come 
was that outermost area that was seen as nothing to them. That was seen as just, you know, it's, it's may as well be outside. And it was as close as he could come there because he was, he was in the area they considered dispensable. Now notice, he knew that he was a sinner. No one had to tell him that. I think Levi, I think Matthew found himself in that same place. Because when he took, when he took this position as a tax collector, he knew he would be banned from the temple. This wasn't a surprise to him. This wasn't something that he just learned after the fact. He knew that he would be banned from the temple and he knew that he was cutting himself off. He was effectively cutting himself off from all of his people because he knew that he would be despised by them. None of this was a surprise to him. He knew that he would be cut off. So when he's cut off from the temple, he's cut off from participating in the sacrifices. He's, he's, he's cut off from participating in all of those things they thought that brought them this relationship with God. And he's cut off from his people all to make money. All because he wanted to make money. Now it seems that somewhere along the line after that decision, Matthew began to see his need. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Manning a tax booth, he would have heard about Jesus from others passing through. But Mark's account gives us the detail. It says that Matthew's tax booth was by the sea. See, by the sea would be on a very well-traveled route. It would be one where a lot of people would go by. But as I was reading this, and it says that his was by the sea there, if you just turn a little bit earlier in in Luke chapter 5, you get to the part where Jesus was teaching, and as he was teaching, it says he was by the sea there. And he was, the, the other disciples were, were cleaning their nets. They had followed Jesus for a little bit, you know, and they were now, they, you know, they weren't following full time yet. And they were cleaning their nets. And it says that Jesus went and got in the boat and, and told them, you know, let's take me out a little bit. Take me out a little bit from the shore so I can teach you know, because it would, he'd have more room and his voice traveled better over water and people wouldn't be standing, you know, right in front of him for the best spot. And so he'd have more room and he'd be able to more effectively teach people. And he said he got in there and he, he taught those people and then he told them, let's go out, you know, let's go out and go fishing. And if you remember, and that's when, you know, when Peter, when Simon, you know, and he said, Lord, I'm the fisherman. You're not, it's not going to work, but. Because you said it, I'll take you out there. I'm going to humor you, dude. That's just so you know. It's a paraphrase. I'm going to humor you, and so they go out, and, you know, and they and, and he tells them to cast in. They cast in that, and they haul in this this catch of fish, this huge catch of fish. It says so much that the boat was almost sinking. They had to call their partners over get these fish because the boat's almost sinking, and that's so they rowed ashore. Was Matthew's tax booth right there? By the shore, maybe, where Jesus was teaching. Or where he saw him come back in with this huge catch of fish. I don't know, but it seems pretty clear to me that that Matthew had, had heard about Jesus before. What we do know about Matthew is that Matthew knew the Old Testament. 
he knew the Bible of his day. Because while, you know, we're not told much specifically about Matthew here, we do have Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel, he quotes from the Old Testament 99 times. That is more than Mark, Matthew, and John put together. And he quoted, he quoted from, from, from the law, from the Psalms, and from the prophets. Every section they had of the, of the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament. He knew that. So when Jesus said to him, follow me, it, he, he was able to, he, he, when Jesus said, follow me, Jesus wasn't saying, come here, I'm going to show you something. That isn't what he was saying. He wasn't saying, just, just come here a minute, I want to show you something. That, that's not what he was saying. He was calling Matthew here, and Matthew understood this, to completely change his life, to completely change his motivation. He was calling him here to a complete change of living, to leave that position as a tax gatherer, to leave that behind, and to devote his life, to learn more from Jesus, and to live as Jesus lived. And Matthew understood this is what Jesus was saying when Jesus said to him, follow me. He was telling him to leave all of this behind and to completely change your life. We are called to the same total commitment to follow Jesus. We are called to that same commitment. Now, you may not have to leave your job, but if you did, would you? You know, maybe not right away because sometimes, you know, we don't learn. I've shared with you before. We had a friend who was a prostitute when she came to Christ. She knew that was incompatible. Nobody had to tell her that. She knew that was incompatible and she left prostitution and left that behind. You say, well, that's easy. This was her, this was her way of life. This is what she was, you know, and what she did. There was another, uh, I didn't know these people, but in, in a town near us, when you're driving down uh, uh, 94 and you go across 294, the Tri-State Tollway, and you go by that big hole in the ground, Thornton Quarry, um, where they, they get rocks. There was a bar right down this, just on the other side of the quarry, and the, the bar owner came to Christ. And Ginny and I thought this was so weird because we would drive by on the way from our house to her grandmother's house and we'd go by this bar. There's Bible verses on the sign. You just don't always see that. You know, you don't always see that. And I, the first time I thought, you know, we kind of chuckled. And then it was like, what's up with this, you know? Well, and we come to find out this, this guy, you know, he owned a bar. He came to Christ and he thought this would be a good ministry for him. And stuff. Well, then he realized that, you know, the, the, what alcohol was doing to some people and how it was destroying lives. And then he eventually, you know, he sold it. Why? He did because of his commitment to Christ. He didn't feel that was compatible, you see. And so he left that. Matthew knew what he was doing was not compatible with his life with Christ. But you know something? When Peter, James, and John were called, they were just fishermen. They were called to the same thing. They were called to the same thing. To leave what they were doing and to follow. 
when we are when we are called to Christ, we are called to this total commitment. We are called we are called to realign our motivation in life. That's what he is calling us to. To realign that. Matthew had no doubt, you know, he had no doubt heard about Jesus, quite possibly had even seen Jesus for himself. He knew the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. You know, he knew that he was a sinner and needed forgiveness. He knew all of these things, and he put his relationship with God ahead of his desire for money. He put that first, and notice what it says. So leaving everything behind, he got up to follow him. There was no slowly weaning back for him in his mind. He had already made that decision. Matthew saw his need for a relationship with Jesus, and he stepped up and followed Jesus. He stepped up to follow Jesus. He would be joining a group of men who would not exactly be crazy about him. He was joining a group of Jewish men whom he was cut off from by his own choice in wanting to be a tax collector. And he was cut off from them not only from the temple worship, he was also cut off from them from life, everyday life and living because that's what they would have done. And he was joining that group of guys to follow Jesus. It's not like he was leaving this to go through a bunch of guys that would embrace him warmly because they're human. You know, and, and, and there they were. You know, he's stepping up you know, into, into this group that he would not have been their favorite. He stepped away from what drew him away from God. And he knew there was no going back because when he stepped away from that place in the tax booth, there would be a line of people ready to take that spot and there was no going back. But Matthew knew if he was going to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he had to let go of it. And he had to let go of his past. He couldn't say, these guys aren't going to like me. They know what I was like. They'd never accept me. He couldn't say any of that. Too often we try to hold on to our past and we let our past define us and we never enjoy the relationship with Jesus that he wanted us to have with him. That friend of ours who was a prostitute, she was one of the most joyful people. I mean, she just she was a blast to be around. You know, and, she, and, when, and, and she's telling you about Jesus too. I mean, when you, she is telling you, you know. And it's, it's, you know, too often we let our past define us. If we are going to have a real relationship with Jesus, if we're going to have a real relationship with him, we need to let go of our past. Whatever is keeping you away, whatever is stopping you from growing, whatever is ahead of God in your life, whatever is ahead of God in your life, you need to let go. You need to let it go. You need to get those priorities in place. Matthew's change of priorities here in, in a deciding to follow Jesus, it affects his decisions, it affects his actions. Notice then he had the banquet for those you know, people from his life so that they could be exposed to Jesus. His friends, his friends and guests, they, they're, they're, you know, were an unlikely crowd to be coming to see Jesus. Or were they? Or were they? You see, sometimes we just think our friends wouldn't be interested. Matthew didn't think that. But notice the scribes and the Pharisees thought it was the wrong crowd. Notice verse 30, it says, But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to the disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you even have 
I have found that it's pretty easy to find complainers among those who think they're fine with God. And we think we're fine with God, and so we complain about those who aren't in our mind. Instead of reaching out to them in love. The answer, you know, to the Pharisees and scribes question as to, you know, why they were unacceptable people. Why is he, why is your master with these unacceptable people? Well, it's because that's who Matthew knew. That's who he knew. And so he was simply sharing Jesus, you know, those he had a relationship with at the time and, and they needed God. The Pharisees found these people unacceptable. Jesus welcomed them. He welcomed the opportunity to interact with them. The Pharisees asked Jesus, disciples, this question, but Jesus answers them. Verse 31, Jesus replied to them, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus wasn't telling the Pharisees that they were righteous. He was only saying that those who realize they are not righteous are the ones who will respond. Those who think they're good enough They won't let go of their perceived righteousness. Matthew let go. The Pharisees would not. Matthew let go of what he, of all those other things he was hanging on to. The Pharisees and scribes, they would not. They were there at the healing, at the healing when the paralyzed man came down. What did they do? They complained. They were there when Jesus reached out and got Matthew and is reaching out to Matthew's people. What did they do? They complained. They would not let go. Matthew let go. The Pharisees would not. Whatever is keeping you from growing all in for Jesus, whatever is keeping you from stepping out to fully follow Jesus, whatever it is, let it go. It may not be easy, but it's best. It may even hurt, but it will be worth it. It may be frightening, but you will not be alone. It may be humbling, But God resists the proud. It may seem foolish. But the wisdom of God seems like foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who want to cling to their own righteousness. Whatever is keeping you from going all in for God, let it go. Rearrange your priorities and let it go go we wrote know that matthew wrote his gospel particularly to connect with the jewish mind some say that his original gospel was written in in hebrew as uh, some of them feel tradition tells us that he ministered to the jews in israel and even beyond israel a little went abroad the earliest reports of his death say that he was covered with papyrus that was soaked in dolphin oil and pitch which is a tarry kind of a substance that he was wrapped in those and tied to a stake on top of a pile of wood and that he was burned to death that's what some of the accounts have of him But as I was thinking about that, he let go of his life when he encountered Jesus, 
while working at that tax collector's booth. He let go of it there, and he never looked back. Whatever it is, let it go and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your call in our lives. It is not always easy for us. We struggle with it. We battle with it. It is, it is something we need to do. Whatever is keeping us from growing in you. Father, and too often it's our pride. Too often it is just our own ideas. We, we probably don't have to walk away from our job. We pro- what we have to do is put you first. What we have to do is let go of all of these other things that we think are, are, are making us who we are and realize that you're the one. You're the one we need to give our life to. You're the one that we need to follow. You're the one we need to surrender to. You're the one we need to hold on to. We need to let this other stuff go. So, Father, whatever it is, I just pray that you would help us all to never let anything come before our relationship with you. That you would continue to reveal to us your way and your will and help us to walk in it with no regrets. We pray in Christ's name.